Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. And we're sitting here now. We have Joe Judge as the head coach. We have some clarity on the defensive coordinator. That's going to be Patrick Graham, who comes over from the Miami Dolphins. Now, Patrick Graham has an interesting background, right? Because he's been with the Giants before, spent two years there, has worked in the past with Joe Judge, so they have that pre-existing relationship. But a little interesting aspect of it, he, you know, Patrick Graham, last year, he's working for Brian Flores, who also you know, worked with Joe Judge in New England. So they all know each other. They're all close. They're all, they're all friendly. And so Patrick Graham... Spends one year as the Dolphins coordinator. Now he comes over. Now he's on the defensive side. He's now in charge of the Giants, right? They have to, the Dolphins have to accept the request for Patrick Graham to become the coordinator. And they do that. Even though it's not necessarily um, a promotion, right? He's really getting the same job he had before. He's a defensive coordinator, assistant head coach in Miami. And then he's taking that same job, a lateral move. So the Dolphins let him go. And the question you wonder there is why? Why would the Dolphins just let him go after one year? Now, granted, their defense did not perform well this past year. They also did not have any players this past year. So, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say Patrick Graham's not a good defensive coordinator. But I will say this. You talk to guys, okay, who played under him. They liked him, thought he was a good coach. But you also, you know, and nobody, it's hard to really know. Who are the good coaches and good assistants, right? Because a lot of that stuff happens behind the scenes. So you're just talking to guys that they coached and trying to realize and piece together. And they tell you, you know, this guy was really impressive. We were really impressed by him. I'll say people liked Patrick Graham, but the people I spoke to also, they weren't blown away. Nobody was blown away by Patrick Graham. Nobody was, that I talked to at least, was like, oh, yeah, that guy's definite future coordinator. So it's an interesting move. And we'll ultimately see if it's successful. Now, I said this, I think, last week. is Joe Judge comes in and Patrick Graham is now in the same category, they're set up to improve, right? Because they were a bad, bad unit last year, talent-wise. Okay? I think they finished 24th in the league or 26th, which, by the way, is not bad. I, it really isn't bad. I actually give James Betcher some credit. The fact that they were there was like at least five, six, seven teams, eight teams worse than them on defense this year, considering they didn't have any money invested in their defense. I think we had them, our ESPN system has them as the third lowest amount invested in the defense. Other sites have them as the number one in, in regards to uh, amount spent on the defense cap-wise. So the fact that they're in that range, they weren't good by any means. There was break, endless breakdowns. I mean, that's part of the deal, I think, when you're playing with all these young players. so, But now Patrick Graham comes in, okay? Because really you want to have like one or two, maybe three rookies playing on your entire defense or young players, and you you, you, you just throw them in there, and they're, they're part of the mix, right? And they're part of the mix, but, they, you know, you have all these other veterans and decent, good and good quality players around them, pro bowlers, which the Giants had zero. You have those guys just splattered in there. This way, they're not asked to play such huge roles. If you have five guys asked to play big roles, you're, you're kind of screwed, which the Giants were. So now Patrick Graham comes in and Joe Judge as well. Now the Giants have money to spend in free agency. Let's say they sign two defensive players in free agency. 
draft two players in the first three rounds. Now they have four players that should be quality players immediately making an impact on defense. Should be a better defense. Because unless they let Winner, Leonard, what did I say Leonard Williams? Leonard Williams. Let's Leonard Williams walks now. Let's Leonard Williams walks. They pretty much have the same defense. At least the guys that were significant contributors. I mean, they're probably going to get rid of guys like Alec Gogoltree and Chinaris Jenkins is actually gone and uh, Antoine Bethea is probably gone and Kareem Martin's likely going to be gone. So guys like that. But these weren't huge impact players on defense this year. Not at all. So now the key is who do the Giants get to run the offense? And this is the big one. We're sitting here taping this on Thursday afternoon. It's, yeah, Thursday afternoon. And this is the big one because the most important hires for a new head coach are the two coordinators. Okay, you already have Patrick Graham. That's a little bit of a question mark. To me, the Giants need an offensive coordinator that's experienced, that you trust to run that side of the ball. Joe Judge can oversee it a little bit because let's be honest. Joe Judge, who coached one year of wide receivers, whoever you bring in as offensive coordinator, let's say Jason Garrett, Let's say it's uh, Mike Shula comes back. Let's say it's Freddie Kitchens. Those are the three names we've heard so far connected with the Giants and at least their offensive staff. And, you know, you, you throw in um, Bill Callahan, who you hear might be part of the, the package for uh, with uh, Jason Garrett if that happens. I think that's a possibility. Uh, I believe Dave Go- the Go- the Googe. De Gugliemi, De Gugliemi, I'm probably saying his name wrong, but he's he's worked for the Giants in the past. He's worked for the Patriots. He's got has a relationship with Judge as well. He's a name you hear as a possibility as well as an offensive line coach. At first, you heard uh, J.B. Grimes, who's a guy that apparently it was looking like he was going to go to Mississippi State as the offensive line coach with Joe Judge, but it's a different game, Auburn very different. They run a very different offense. That's where that's where J.B. Grimes was. Does it necessarily you know, carry over to the NFL? There's a lot of question there. They don't do a lot of NFL stuff there, so that might have changed the plan. Who knows? Maybe he ends up on the staff in some capacity. Who, not sure. But we'll see. But the offensive coordinator spot is a huge one for Joe Judge because he needs these two coordinators. Right? These guys are their offense and defensive coach. He's the overseer. He needs to make these good hires. Otherwise, this is probably going to be a disaster. It's not going to be a success. So we'll see how that turns out. Jason Garrett interviewed on Wednesday. That's an interesting one. Um, you know what? Let's just get into it. We'll go, we'll go to the man himself. The man with all the information. We have a special guest today, okay? The man with all the information. Let's bring him on now. Adam Schefter, right? The ultimate NFL insider. He's going to fill us in on everything about the Giants right now. So let's just go straight there. On to the next one. All right, let's bring in Adam Schefter, everyone. You, you know who you know who Adam Schefter is. He's the man all over all the news, everything in the NFL. He's been all over this Giants stuff, too. Broke broke the Joe Judge story. Uh, so let's start there, Adam. First of all, how you doing? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Jordan. Hope everything's well. Yeah, everything's well. I mean, we're, we're back. We, we're in a familiar spot, unfortunately, talking about a new Giants coach. But, uh, you know. Third it, time in five years, <laughs> huh? <laughs> it's the third time in five years. 
I thought I was coming to this, you know, successful team. They were only two years removed from a Super Bowl, and little did I know it was going to be uh, coaching carousel at the time. So crazy. Anytime you have that going on, it also contributes to a team falling back and not excelling because every coach has got different ideas about personnel. So every time you change the coach, he's got his own ideas. So some of the guys they brought in for Ben McAdoo didn't work for Pat Shermer, and some of the guys they brought in for Pat Shermer won't work for Joe Judge, and so on and so forth. And it creates a vicious cycle where it really puts your team at a disadvantage, and that's part of the problem the Giants have had here the last five years. Yeah, compounding mistakes really is is what ends up happening because you're not aligned. I think that that was a big thing that I took from the Giants so far is their hiring of Joe Judge in part, they want to make sure that everyone is aligned. And so let's start with Joe Judge first. You, this, If we were, what, two-plus weeks into the new year, if I had told you that Joe Judge would be the head coach of the Giants, what would you have said? Like if I asked you, you know, December 28th or whatever. I would have said that's interesting but not overly surprising. Why do you say that? Because I think this is a guy that teams have looked at and I think People have seen that special teams coaches can be effective, dating back to Marv Levy and probably before up to John Harbaugh today. And so the Patriots have been the most successful franchise, and I think the people in the Giants organization respect the word of Bill Belichick. And I think Bill Belichick felt like Joe Judge was ready to become a head coach. So if you got this 38-year-old guy who's well-versed in a lot of different areas, who comes from a special teams background, and has a strong reputation. His name was not spoken about as much as Matt Rule or Josh McDaniels, but it doesn't mean that he was not a good coaching candidate. It did seem like he was, I mean, you talk to people, it seemed like he, he basically was on the verge of taking that Mississippi State job. Yep. Uh, how much did that sort of expedite the timeline and, and speed this thing up and make, you know, kind of solidify that, you know, Matt Rule was never going to happen for the Giants, that that interview was never going to happen? Well, I, I think that, it was all kind of tied together. I think that they met Joe Judge on Monday. Um, I'm trying to think. When was, Matt Rule was hired on Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning, and Judge came down later that morning, about three or four hours apart, correct? Yep, yep, exactly. And so, again, you bring in Judge. You're really impressed with the guy. You know Mississippi State's moving on him. There also is this public perception that Matt Rule was the Giants guy no matter what. Right. That that I don't believe was real. And and do I think that they were interested in Matt Rule? Absolutely. Do I think that they were interested in hiring him? Yes. Yes. Right. And if he had gotten in the door and they talked to him, he might have been the guy. But, but you know, there's nothing that's definite when before you inter guy interview a guy, right? I mean, th- that's a big part of this process. Like they want to hear what his plan is, they want to hear you know, possible if he wanted to change a little bit in personnel, if he had some pushback on that. There was, right, but, there's but, a lot but, of little things that could have been involved correct. there. And, and my point there, Jordan, is that a lot of people felt like it was preordained that Matt Rule was going to be the Giants head coach. And he, he might have been. But you never know. You go into the process with ideas of who might be the favorites, and oftentimes you leave from the process with different ideas of who are the favorites. Right. You think they might have made a mistake, though, to at least not make sure they got first crack at him? If they, if, you know, because we know they were interested in him, right? So they obviously wanted to sit with him. Yeah. So to get first crack, like you know once he sits down with the Panthers, there's that possibility. David Tepper, impressive guy, one of the richest guys in the world, that he, they might never make it to you. Right, but 
Also, Matt Rule has a say in how that's going to be scheduled. True. And I don't know whether he wanted to go to Carolina first and try to pressure them and leverage the Giants. I mean, you don't know. Right. That's so interesting, yeah. It, it's a two-way street. And I know people, I, you know, I, I, I do remember this. I do remember on Saturday, before that Monday, two days before, uh, mm-hmm. Monday, Tuesday period, talking to people who were not convinced that, A, he was going to leave Baylor, or mm-hmm. B, that he was going to go to New York. And the analogy that I remember distinctly discussing with one person who knew Rule pretty well was, you know, I grew up in the New York area, and I went to the University of Michigan and then lived out in Denver for over 15 years, and then I moved back to the East Coast again. And, you know, it's a little bit different, but Matt Rule is a guy who's from the Bronx or this area, somewhere in New York. Manhattan, I believe. Manhattan. <laughs> moved away. Mm-hmm. And and I think oftentimes when you're from here and you move away from here, you recognize that there's a world out there that exists beyond here. That's all. And and in many cases, it can be a kinder, gentler, simpler, cheaper world mm-hmm. than it is here. <laughs> Definitely cheaper. That's okay? for sure. And so the point is there's another way of life. And Matt Rule had been exposed to that and seen what it was like. And because of that, um, I don't think there was any assurance that he was going to be back in New York. Right. So I don't know if he wanted to go to Carolina first because that ultimately was where he wound up uh, or that he wanted to go to New York and it just didn't work out. That I, I don't know. But, again, I, I just think that um, as great as New York, New Jersey, there's so much politan area is, um, there are other great places to raise a family. How much... When you talk to people around the league, do you think, and this is something that, you you know, people, fans seem to jump on, you know, the, the whole Dave Gettleman setup, but even more than that, the whole Giants setup in general. Like, every team has a different setup for personnel and ownership, right? I mean, the Cowboys are what they are. The Panthers, they pretty much gave, seemed like carte blanche almost to, to Matt Rule. And the Giants, you know, their setup is they have Dave Gettleman in there as a general manager. They have some ownership involved in personnel decisions. How much do you think that would have factored into the equation for some of these other candidates? Well, uh, listen, I think it would have been a factor. I, I, I don't know how much it is. Right. But there's no way, if you're a candidate coming in there, that you're not looking at everything, including the existing structure and who you would be working with. Mm-hmm. And and you'd be working you know, primarily with Dave Gettleman. And, again... Um, I don't know how various people felt about that. I'm sure some people were okay with it and other people not. Right. So it, it just it had to be a fact that I, I will say I was a little surprised that the Giants came out as strong as they did uh, before the search uh, to just say Dave Gettleman is here, he'll be here, he'll be our GM when, you know, I'm not convinced that every coaching candidate felt a strong desire to go work with him. True. So, again, if that's the way you want to go, I got no problem. Do your search, hire the guy. At that point, figure out what you want to do with Dave Gettleman. Yeah, that seems to be like the just the question that's out there, and, and I don't think there is an answer, right? Of yeah. how that how much it would have been affected had a different candidate really pushed and been the guy that they selected. You know, if Matt Rule or even Mike McCarthy they said we want you to be our coach, how much that push and pull would have been at that point? It's just it's just sort of the the, the unknown right now, and I don't. It's always going to be the unknown because it didn't happen, but uh, it's certainly a factor. So Joe Judge is there now. He's putting together his staff. How realistic do you view Jason Garrett at this point? 
Uh, you know, it's, it's realistic. I, I don't know whether it's going to happen or not. Right. Uh, I'm, 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 Neither I'm, do I. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious like everybody else uh, to see whether ultimately he takes the job. I think he's got some other options, uh, both in and out of football. Uh, I believe, I know he's got other options in and out of football. And so we'll wait and see. Again, once again, Jordan, it's it's not just what the Giants want. They may right. want Jason Garrett. It may be that he desires something else. Yeah. I had someone say that to me yesterday. Like, it's a two-way street. Like, yeah. if you're Jason Garrett, why would you put yourself in that situation? You, he could just go and sit out a year, do broadcasting, whatever, and then be in that coaching cycle again next year to be a head coach. Like, why even risk anything of going to the Giants this year? So, yeah, that's, I agree. That's, that's a, that's a big thing. It's not always just the, okay, the team wants X guy. This is going to happen, right? There's always outside factors and it seems to be the case there as well. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, let's see what Jason Garrett wants and what he decides to do. Um, <coughs> so so there we go. The Giants go out and they get Patrick Graham, right, as their defensive coordinator. Interesting move. He's been, he was, he's been with the Giants before. He was under Ben McAdoo. He was their defensive line coach. He was the defensive coordinator of the Miami Dolphins last year, and now he comes to the Giants in that same role, which is, which is kind of strange. How unique is that 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 – that that happens as he comes in the same role, and and what do you make of that? Which guy was that, Jordan? Patrick Patrick Graham yeah, 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 coming yeah, yeah. from the from a, coming from the Dolphins. You know, um, the the one thing I'd say there is that uh, the Dolphins shook up their coaching staff a little bit here after the season, went through a number of changes, and and you know I think the Giants knew what they were getting, and and really had a desire to go add him to the staff. Um. Worked with Judge in, in New England, obviously, yeah, so they yeah, know each other pretty of course, well. Of yeah. course. And so, you know, it's important for Joe to feel comfortable with these guys, and that was somebody he obviously believed and trusted in and wanted to work with, and so here we are. Let's turn to the draft for a second because I want to ask you, right? You talk to people around the league all the time. Is it, in your mind, is it Joe Burrows, Chase Young, and everybody else after that at this point? Well, that seems to be the way everyone's perceiving it, right? Yeah, I, I, but I would say this, that many times we perceive the draft a certain way in mid-January, and it turns out to be something different mm-hmm. in late April. So there's a certain danger, and things happen, and the, the players are a little bit like stocks. I mean, their value goes up and down for no real reason between now and then, but it does. Mm-hmm. There are medicals, there are interviews, there's combine workouts, there's personal workouts, there's all sorts of things that impact the value and stock of a player before the draft. And so, yes, I would think Joe Burrow goes number one. I would think Chase Young goes number two. But what about Isaiah Simmons, the Clemson linebacker? Does he sneak in there somewhere mm-hmm. and make it tough for them to draft somebody like him? Or what, Jerry Judy, the, the, does he sneak in there? Because a lot of it depends on the need. What, what are the Giants, four? Four. Well, here's, here's the way I, I mean, to me, the wild card is Tua, right? What if he checks out? What like for the number three and four pick? That's the Lions and the Giants. If the one two goes as everyone seems to think it is, doesn't that put those teams in a position of power? And, and if Tua, I, I mean, you tell me. The people who's the who's three? Three of the Lions. So that would it, let's say Tua does check out, right? And uh-huh. he's he's trending in the right direction, like you said. The medicals are. I don't be know that we. Point. I don't know that we're going to get any definitive answers on Tua by them, but well, okay. Right. Let's say hypothetically he does because he he seems to be a wild card in this draft, right? Like the big the big wild card of this whole draft is what NFL teams 
view to us. Because, you know, he can go anywhere from who knows, right? Right near the top of the draft to the middle of the first round, end of the first round, who knows, depending on his health, right? Yep. So well, how how big is that, and, and especially for those number three and four pick and the perception on quarterbacks right now? Well, I, I just think he's going to be a top ten pick, period. I think when you look at it right now, you've got the Bengals, you've got the Dolphins, the Chargers, the Panthers, all with quarterback questions. There may be another team I'm missing. I'm not sure just yet. We're not there, but we will be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the value of quarterbacks always is high. It's always driven up. I don't know that we'll get a medical answer on Tua, but had he been healthy, he probably would have been the number one overall pick. Right. So that you take some of that medical risk at five or six or seven or earlier and go and take Tua. I, I don't, you know, no one can answer that right now. I don't know. It's going to be one of the great questions, maybe the great question of this draft is, you know, where and how do you value Tua with that hip injury? Yeah. Um, because I think there are going to be teams that are concerned about the chance that it could be aggravated or it could affect his athletic ability and performance. Um, but but we don't have the answers to those questions right now. So yeah. It's um, all going to be about assessing the risk there, right? I mean, and that's, that's sort of yeah. the way the draft works in well, general. And these guys, yeah. are all they're all risk. So it's like assessing the risk. You want as little risk as possible, and some teams are willing to go out there and really go for the, you know, go for the gold there and really take a huge swing. So it'll be, it'll be interesting on that one. That's the case all the time, and two will be the – uh, one of the ultimate examples of that this year. Yeah, and it would be big for the Giants and the Lions and those three and four but spots. And really, the entire draft. If the draft went, if the draft went according to form as we're talking here right now, mm-hmm. and again, I don't think it will because things always change. If if you, if you had Burrow go one and Chase Young go two, well, then the Giants are looking at at a four either Judy or Simmons, right? Like you'd be happy with either one of those guys. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, the Giants have a lot of needs, so it didn't mean any off, any of the offensive linemen come up. You know, there's some good offensive linemen in this draft that would work. Uh, even the cornerback with uh, Okuda, I believe. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. Any of these guys that people say they, they all fit for the Giants because they have a lot of needs right now. So <laughs> that's why they're picking four. That's why they've had three coaches <laughs> in five years. That is true. So I do a lot in this in this podcast. I try to tell people what it's like to be the Giants reporter, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, of you know some of the things you deal with as a reporter and being on the inside and trying to be an NFL reporter. So you're the ultimate NFL insider. So we need to have a little perspective here on what it's like to be a league-wide NFL insider. Like, can you? Are there times where you could put your phone down at all? Like, where you could just put your phone away and go away for a couple hours? Does that ever happen? Uh, it really doesn't. I mean, you know, I, I, I just think, but I don't think that's exclusive to me i just think that's the world we live in you right know, i think we're all more accessible um we're all in a situation where people can reach us on a moment's notice so you know when i when i was a kid growing up you go to the movies and there was no cell phone so i was going to sit in a movie for two hours and watch that movie you know and i could take my daughter to a movie now and all of a sudden i'm getting 10 text messages and four phone calls whatever it may be <laughs> And and it's just it's just hard. It's just hard, you know. Uh, last night I was at dinner with my family, and you, know, you get a call from somebody, and then another person. And um, you know, it's not like you're picking up the phone. You know, I'm busy right now. I, I can't. You, you know, someone calls you, you take the call. And uh, it's just the way that it is these days. And and the job, I think, first of all, it's a dream job. It's beyond anything I ever would imagine. I'm privileged. I'm honored. I'm blessed. I'm all those things. 
but it's relentless. It just never, it just never stops. Just never stops. You know, um, today I went out at an appointment with a doctor this afternoon, and I'm sitting there, and the New Orleans Police Department issues an arrest warrant for Odell Beckham Jr. And I said, boy, the last time I was at this doctor, I remember Antonio Brown um, tried to get into a fight with the Raiders GM Mike Mayock, and lo and behold, about 20 minutes later, uh, turns out I found out from the NFLPA that Drew Rosenhaus has terminated his relationship with Antonio Brown. So within the span of about an hour, we had the New Orleans Police Department issuing an arrest warrant for Odell, and we had the agent for uh, Antonio Brown terminating their relationship. And I thought, okay, well, here we go. Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham Jr., same day, about an hour apart. I'm just trying to, to you know, basically get checked up here, and, and this is what my life is like. You know when you go to that doctor that something's going to happen now. So now, now you know. Next time you I go, you're going to get sick. I better not get sick. Right? <laughs> yeah, don't get sick anymore. Yeah. So you, you've broken a ton of stories. Last one, real quick. Is there a story you're most proud of? You know, I don't like to think about that. It's like it would be like asking a coach. You know, what what game are you most proud of winning? What trophy? I, I, I just, I really don't think like that. You know, the job is hard. Um, it's hard today. It'll be hard tomorrow. And and I hope that the biggest story that I got will be the next one. Well, I'm sure there will be a next one, and it'll be soon. So make sure you follow. And it'll Adam probably Schefter. be Antonio Brown or Odell Beckham Jr. <laughs> that is true. That is true. You never know with those two guys. Those two guys are always at the top of the list of stories that can break. So, Adam, we appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Hey, you got it, Jordan. Hope that helps. Have a great day. Happy yep. New Year. You too. On to the next one. Now let's turn our attention to my favorite part of this podcast. It's the segment where I answer all your deepest, darkest Giants questions in Giants After Dark. So let's begin, right? We'll start with Stephen Brown on Twitter. At, we'll do a little five-pack questions here. Stephen Brown, 1001, says, Who's your favorite pick for OC at the moment? I could see Garrett for OC, given his experience as a head coach, to better judge going forward. And as an average play caller from what I've read. But what are your thoughts? I'm a, I, I have hesitation about Jason Garrett. Number one, he hasn't called plays really in a long time. You know, the Dallas Cowboys... Took that away from, I believe it was 2012, 13. I mean, it's been a while since he's called plays, maybe 16, whatever. He hasn't called plays in years. And then you're talking about a guy who's, look, he's going to have his eyes on another job. So you get Jason Garrett and you bring him in. If they have even a modicum of of success, Jason Garrett's gone next year. So then what, another play, another offensive coordinator for Daniel Jones? I mean, you'll be three in three years. And plus, we don't really know about, da- about Jason Garrett as a play caller. Like, they had to bring in Kellen Moore to, to, you know, make the offense more innovative. Right? A young guy like Kellen Moore, and they made him the offensive coordinator. So we don't really know. Is Jason Garrett, has he ad- adapted offensively? Is he, you know, up to date? As an NFL play caller offensively, we, we don't really know. So to me, I think the, my option, I, I kind of like the Freddie Kitchens idea, right? He's a guy he's not going to be go get a head coaching job. He did a pretty good job when he was offensive coordinator the year before. Now, we know he's not necessarily made out to be a head coach. I think we could all agree on that. That was a disaster. There was questions about it going in. Turned out to be a complete disaster. Okay. But he did a pretty good job as a, as a 
offensive coordinator in Cleveland. Uh, Baker Mayfield set the rookie record for touchdown passes, and that's why you know Freddie Kitchens got that job. He's not going to be going anywhere. He's not going to go be going to get a head coaching job next year, probably even two years down the line. So this could be if you have that combo and it does work, and I do, and players love love Freddie Kitchens. They love working with him. I'm telling you, I spoke to guys that, that have been with him in the past. They love him. So I, I think I think that's an interesting one. To me, that makes the most sense because look, we only really know three names right now, and we don't even know if Freddie Kitchens is in the offensive coordinator running. But if he is, I kind of like that idea. So. Uh, Garrett, to me, I, I'm not saying it's bad, but I also don't really know. So, what are uh, Mr. Blue Seven One Eight on Twitter says? This is question number two. What are the chances Bill Callahan is the Giants' new O line coach? Well, this again, I first of all, I do think there's a chance. Okay, uh, Garrett being there probably increases those chances. But again, as Adam talked about. This isn't just a one-way street thing. Let's say the Giants want him. You think that there's no, Giants are the only team out there that wants Bill Callahan? Bill Callahan is known as one of the best offensive line coaches, right? So there's other teams out there that want him. Also, I think it's worth noting with Bill Callahan is you have to think about it. Is that a great fit for this Giants team? Because for the most part, the Giants are a bigger, more power, powerful offensive line, right? Will Hernandez. Bill Callahan is known to run like a lateral scheme where guys move, have to move a lot. And, he, you know, so I don't know if Bill Callahan actually is the best. And I love him as a coach. But is he the, is he, is his scheme, if that's what they're going to run, the best suited for this group of offensive linemen? Not exactly the most mobile group out there. Not by any means. So that would be a little bit of concern for me if, they did go with Bill Callahan. But I'd say there's a decent shot. Also shot for Dave DeGugliemi. God, I'm botching that name left and right. Left and right. Sean Mouvel says, this is question number three, potential compensation if we trade back in the draft? That's a good question. Again, a lot. Well, who is available? Is it for a quarterback that automatically increases the value of the core of that that pick right uh if if it's Tua and the Dolphins are worried about someone else moving up to get Tua and they really want to get into that spot then all of a sudden that pick has more valuable uh, has more value sorry so I think you might be able to get a later first round pick for it maybe a second round pick um it'll be interesting I, I'll go back at some point and I'll check all right Here's uh, here's all the trades of the number four overall pick, and we'll see about what they got. Now, remember, like it depends. Remember when the the year that the Carson Wentz and Garrett, Jared Goff came out, the, the number one and two picks were traded. They had significantly more value than they did the past few years because those everybody wanted to move up and get those guys. So the Rams and the Eagles both paid up big time for that pick. Tornado at Antonio801, question number four, says, I know nobody knows but Eli, but what's your prediction on Eli's future? My prediction on Eli's future, and I talk to a lot of people and a bunch of people that Eli's friends with, and granted, he's not exactly, you know, sitting out there and laying out all the scenarios for everybody, but the feeling is 
Eli still wants to play. Now, wanting to play and wanting to play under his, under the circumstances he wants are two different things. He doesn't want to be a backup. He made that very clear. He didn't enjoy being a backup. It's boring to him. Okay. But if he can get a starting job for a good team, I think Eli would play. The question is, is that opportunity out there? I don't think so. I would be, I shouldn't say, I would say I would be surprised if that happened. What team is going to hand the starting job to a 39-year-old quarterback who hasn't played particularly well the past few years and just hand it to him? What team? I don't know that team, at least now. Maybe that team surfaces, but right now I'd be surprised if that happens. He looks at it and says, I don't really love my opportunity. Opportunities that are out there, it's probably best if I retire. I'm not going to go be a backup to uh, you know a young quarterback or be a bridge quarterback for a bad team. It doesn't make sense. So I think that's that's kind of where this one is headed with Eli Manning. But we're going to see. It'll probably take a little while because he's going to sit around and wait and assess the market and see how everything plays out over the next month or so. And then he'll realize, okay, is there a realistic opportunity to get to get this get this starting spot somewhere? And I don't know. You tell me if that spot exists. I, I don't I don't see it right now. Last one, number five. Don Douglas, T-H-A. Okay, he says, if you can name one free agent you most like, you find most likely to be a giant, who would that be? All right, fair question. You could start with pass rusher because that's what this team needs desperately. They, they're going to start, they need a pass rusher. Okay? And the top two guys on the market are Yannick Ngakwe from the Jaguars. And Jadavian Clowney, who my understanding is he's going to hit the market as well. I don't think a guy like Shaq Barrett will ultimately hit the market for the Bucks. Um, other big pass rushers out there, whoever they are, I, I think those they're not at the same level as the guys I just named. So, to me, Yannick Ngakwe is a younger guy. He makes sense. It's a big investment. But the that, to me, makes the most sense. So, to me, right now, at... You know, what's today? January 15th, 16th. January 16th. Still almost two months until free agency. I would say Yannick Ngakwe. The difference-making pass rusher the Giants need because they're not getting Chase Young at number two. It doesn't look like there's another difference-making pass rusher that's going to be in that mix. The athletic new-age linebacker, in Isaiah Simmons, he's there. The cornerback, if they want, he's there. You know, Kuda from there. So there's other options. But that dynamic threat as a pass rusher, not, there's not a lot of them. It's hard to come by. And you got to pay for these guys. You're going to have to pay. You're going to have to pay, pay, pay. Pay out the wazoo to get these guys. Think Olivier Vernon plus inflation, right? How much the value of the dollar in the NFL has moved moved up over the last, what, three, four years whenever they signed Vernon? Yannick Ngakwe. New record. That's what it's going to be. Hope I answered a bunch of your questions there. Feel free always to send me questions. Email, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You know where to reach me. I'm always available. I'll try and answer all your questions. At least the ones that you tag Giants After Dark. We'll do, we'll do a couple of these Giants After Dark on Twitter too in the next few weeks so look out for those 
On to the next one. Special thanks to Adam Schefter, NFL insider extraordinaire for ESPN. You know, the guy who breaks almost every story. Yeah, he's on top of pretty much everything in the entire league. I mean, just a wealth of information. I mean, I work with him closely. When I have questions, I send it to him. When I'm not sure about something, I run it by him. I'm telling you, you would not believe how much information this guy has. Seriously, on everything. Everything that's going on in the league. I swear, he talks to everybody. I hear something and I tell it to him, he's like, he already heard it. He heard it two days earlier. It's really spectacular. And, uh, you know, we're all, like, at the at the lower level, on the team level, we're, like, less successful versions of him, right? Like, we try to keep our ear to the ground, hear everything that's going on for our team. This guy does it for 32 teams. Think about that. So I'm busy, and I sleep with my phone next to my bed, and I cover one team. Imagine covering 32 teams. Just a crazy concept. And trying to be on top of every single big move. I mean, that is a lot. No wonder. I mean, multiple phones, never turning them off, never being disconnected. It's crazy. Because you never know when something's going to happen. Never. You know, I'm July 4th, celebrating July 4th, Jason Pierre-Paul blows off his hand, right? I mean, these kind of things happen. Andrew Luck retires out of the blue this year for here, Adam. I mean, you think he was expecting a call? And Andrew Luck, at what, 28 years old, was just going to retire? I doubt it. So, special thanks to Adam. He was very illuminating on the Giants. I thought, I thought we learned a bunch of different things of, of how they were thinking along the way and some of the moves that they made. So, all right. That's going to wrap up this episode of Breaking Big Blue. As always, make sure you subscribe and tell your friends. It's available on all podcast platforms. You know where to find it. Apple Podcasts, iHeart, uh, Google Play, the ESPN app. Give it a good rating. Tell your friends. Help us grow. This is going to be a big year for the podcast. I'm feeling it. 2020, big year for the Breaking Big Blue podcast. But that's it for this episode. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. See you next time.